In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Welcome back to the Hero Series, presented by myself, David Gibbons, and Dr. Susan Anthony. Our guest today, Dr. Jude Caravan, PhD, is a cosmologist and previously the most senior businesswoman in Britain. She now works worldwide as a planetary healer, internationally acclaimed author and inspirational speaker. In a well-grounded, accessible and inspiring way, her global work reconciles leading-edge science, research into consciousness and spiritual wisdom aiming to empower others, raise awareness and facilitate practical and sustainable harmony and wholeness on personal and collective levels. In addition to her writing and healing work with people and places, she speaks regularly at international conferences, leads workshops and appears on television and radio. Dr. Jude Caravan's books include The Eighth Chakra, The Thirteen Steps and Cosmos, co-authored with Dr. Irvin Laszlo. Recently she was awarded the 2010 Circle Award by One Buddhism International and sponsored by the United Nations, cited for her outstanding contribution to planetary healing and expanding new forms of consciousness. And Dr. Susie Anthony, co-creator of the Hero series, quoted recently by Professor Mihor Ledwith, former senior papal advisor to John Paul II. Dr. Susie Anthony's award-winning personal spiritual development book, A Map to God, Awakening Spiritual Integrity, takes you on the shortest journey, out of the head and into the heart. It may well be the shortest journey, but is often the longest because of the multitude of self-inflicted barriers and obstacles we put in our way. This is what this powerful book and Susie's work addresses at the deepest level. How to get over ourselves. Susie Anthony is a peace activist and a great visionary. She went through a profound and potent personal transmutation as a result of a series of near-death experiences, from feeling stuck in bondage to a system whose values she had never chosen, but in which she blindly believed, to where she is today. Anyone who has worked 18 hours a day to try to keep up with the rat race will find this book and working with her personally to be literally a lifesaver. Susie walks her talk and she has truly experienced all she shares. She's the real deal, expertly yet simply written. My hope is that this visionary work will awaken the masses to really respond to the call of spirit, wholeness and healing, the true stuff of the hero's journey. I could not put it down personally. This incredible book will dramatically change your life and perceptions of reality. Read it if you dare. Welcome back to the Heroes series on In Discussion. 
It's an absolute pleasure today to be joined by our special guest, Dr. Jude Caravan, and of course, Susie Anthony. Ladies, welcome to you today. Thank you. Hi, David. Great to be here. Thanks, Susie. And hi, Jude, and, and thank you for being on board with this. Great You're stuff. You're welcome. our first British hero. Oh, I'm, I'm honoured. <laughs> and with that said, we'll begin our 12-step journey on the Hero Series. And the first step in the Hero's journey, the ordinary world, the Hero's normal world before the story begins. Jude Caravan, like Susie, who had all kinds of supernatural experiences as a child, mostly uh, protective warnings of imminent danger, your normal world before the story begins was also somewhat unusual, to put it mildly. Could you describe this for our listeners, perhaps? I'll be happy to, David. I mean, I was, I was born in 1952 and, and raised up in the north of England as a very, in a very working-class environment. I never knew my biological father, uh, but when mum remarried, when I was about three years old, I was brought up as the daughter of a coal miner. My dad and my grandfather uh, were both coal miners. But then dad sadly died when I was 10 years old, and, and my mum, my beloved mum, brought up my younger brother and myself, which, you know, as a single mum in those days was, was very, very hard. So in essence, I had a very ordinary, and I had a very grounded, you can't get much more grounded than the daughter of a coal miner, uh, upbringing. But even at the age of four years old, like Susie, I'd begun to have mystical and psychic experience and literally to walk between worlds, out-of-body experiences. I could see things other folks couldn't see. I could hear things other people couldn't hear. And it was at that time in my life that a discarnate presence came to me. And that mentor, uh, that being, has been my lifelong guide ever since. And there's a lot more to say on that. So even before beginning the hero's journey, I was, I was, you know, balancing the extraordinary and the ordinary. Um, I'd also become studying cosmology and ancient wisdom from that very early age. So, as I say, the ordinary and the extraordinary were both very present in my life from the beginning. But at 18 years old, I became the first in my family ever to go to university. Um, and I gained a master's degree in physics from Oxford. And the reason I did that was I really, having walked between worlds and understanding and experiencing multidimensional realities, I just wanted to understand how that linked with the physical world. So that's why I went to, to Oxford and, and gained the MA. And then I entered the world of international business. And by the early 1990s, from that very, you know, monetarily poor beginning, um, became the most senior businesswoman in the UK. And then I guess the real story began. It must be a real uh, change in lifestyle, going from northern England to Oxford. It was. I, uh, my pronunciation, everybody found hilarious, because I had quite a strong accent. Um, but, you know, it, it seemed to be par for the course. As I say, from four years old, I was living both extraordinarily and ordinarily. So, you know, it was another step in the way. It was very different. I enjoyed it. But I have to say that having had some amazing experiences like Susie from being very young, Oxford University and what they taught uh, about the physical world seemed very tame in comparison, and I have to say pretty limited in comparison. 
Let me turn uh, to Susie Anthony. Susie, following on from that statement, can you explain why and how it is that as young children, many of us haven't closed off to the invisible worlds and higher levels of consciousness? Well, yes, it is, because children are very, very open when they first enter this level of consciousness, and they're still in unity consciousness. They're still connected to the earth and the sky via their open perineum and fontanelle centers in the root and crown chakras. And there's a fabulous story that illustrates this, which I'd like to share, where a three-year-old little boy demands to see his newborn baby sister over and over again in a private audience. And the parents check with a psychologist, and he says, well, leave the door ajar, give him five minutes, and watch. So they give him the five minutes, they look through the crack in the door, and he rushes into the cot and picks up this tiny baby, just a few weeks old, says, quickly, quickly, he said, "Um, I'm beginning to close down. Just remind me, what is God like and where have we come from? Because you can still remember. And that's astonishing. And what I'm doing with adults now is teaching them to remember this unity consciousness and how to reopen all of their chakras and tune in and access this very, very special world that Jude and I were very lucky to stay connected to. Absolutely. And as Susie says, David, you know, when we, we've been both incredibly lucky to remember that connection throughout our lives. And now we both, I suppose, in our different ways, both of us really, are looking to empower other people to remember, literally, it's not a remembering in the mind, it is a remembering on all levels of the unity that we all ultimately are. It seems strange, I remember the very first day that I entered that studio last November, and I can remember the first thing I started with, and I'd still do it today with all of my guests, is taking them back to their childhood. Mm. And the most amazing and profound uh, stories come out and recollections. And if there are any comments from my guests when they come back, and they usually are, the first thing they talk about is they always say, David, you took me to areas that I hadn't thought about for years or perhaps had never thought about. This is something, do you think, uh, Susie Anthony, that we should look at more with people in taking them back down that road to find themselves? Definitely. I mean, our childhood years and the wounding that we receive, Mm. consciously and unconsciously, um, from our guides and guardians and parents in the physical body, that leads us to self-limit and self-sabotage and self-destruct in later life. Mm. And it's really, really radically important that we go back and clear our stuff and get back to compassion and forgiveness, knowing that our parents, our teachers, our guides, our siblings were only ever doing the very best that they knew how with the consciousness available to them. Would you say part of that is 
also an education of yourself in not just looking at your own journey, but also looking at the intergenerational factors, the generations before, the manipulation, the conditioning that has perhaps been handed down for generations. Definitely. We have to clear not just our personal wounding, but ancestral and family wounding, cultural wounding. And when we are open and aware enough, cosmic wounding. (laughs) it's It's a long journey. It really is a hero's journey, this. This takes us on to the second uh, part of the journey uh, in Susie's work, The Call to Adventure. And this is where the hero is presented with a problem, challenge or adventure. Dr. Jude Caravan, Susie's in-depth research of Maps of God materials has shown that many people receive the call to the hero's adventure directly as a result of a loss of all meaning in their lives. And Jude, you seemingly are no exception to this. Would you agree with that? I I would, David. And, and, you know, as a healer myself, I I fully agree with Susie's perception that the wounding begins in very early childhood. I mean, working with, with many thousands of people myself, I don't know if Susie agrees with this, but it seems to be literally from conception up to through birth and up to about the age of five seems to be the key time when we actually, the wounding occurs, but perhaps the patterns of many lives and the patterning that we inherit and we've embodied before is actually triggered. Um, And for me, the wounding was the loss of my biological father when I was two and a half or thereabouts, when I wasn't able to articulate the emotional hurt, but it was clearly there. And then again, and again as a healer, I've, dis- I've found this with, with thousands of people, at the, the age of puberty, a sort of another core period of, of triggering such wounding and such patterns occurred. And for me, it was when I was 10 years old and, um, and my, my, my adopted dad died. So the, the emotional wounding for me was very much in those two key, t- key timings that um, obviously I've worked very much with ever since, but I've worked with many people, as Susie has, to go back to that key point, that seed point, and, and help people to understand it and to heal from that place. In, in furthering that, how did this perhaps inconvenient truth suddenly to ego and its attachment to any misconceived comfort zone relief reveal itself to you did it come in the form of a sudden earth-shattering revelation or was it perhaps a more gradual process of awakening to the challenge that perhaps like many of us and certainly like Susie's uh, working for the fifth richest man on earth in Japan you had blindly believed in a system that you hadn't actually chosen and that ultimately lacked any integrity? Well, my own sense is that having had the extraordinary experiences of walking between worlds all my life, I knew there was a much bigger picture. I remembered, albeit at some points in my life, by a thread um, of the oneness of all creation. But I think that emotional wounding when I was a little girl 
really was very deep in my psyche. And for a lot of years, I suppose like many, many people, it was a bit like the iceberg. Only a little bit of it showed above the surface. And a lot of it was beneath. And it was that, you know, emotional wounding that was beneath the surface. And the unknown sense of being abandoned um, that I think probably caused me to uh, be very driven and be very driven not in a material way the material you know the material success was like a validation but it was it was far more about wanting to be the best I could be wanting to prove to myself to give myself the security that I hadn't experienced um, in my childhood no, but, you know, as you were saying, David, uh, eventually, step by step, the emptiness of, of what I was pursuing and experiencing in, in, my, in the corporate world um, just felt more and more empty. And by the mid-1990s, I mean, my successful career and ever more materialistic lifestyle, though it was way beyond anything I could have dreamed of as a child, literally just felt more and more empty of meaning. And amidst the material wealth and step by step over several years in fact I began to see and really experience the spirit the spiritual poverty of my life and I just yearned for something else something more something more meaningful Susie Anthony if I may turn to you would you like to talk to that right relationship to material uh, power wealth yes I would after just saying to Jude, I absolutely I'm on the same page with her with everything, everything that she said so far, and I just cannot get over the similarities in our lives and the 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 sense of loss of the father. That was my story, and also the the gift from it all that you become your own parent. It's extraordinary. And the poverty as well. And it's just, it feels like I'm in a wondrous space today to really talk from heart knowing about the right relationship to material power and wealth. And it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Mm. And I remember seeing George Bush in uh, one of the Michael Moore movies, I think, giving a speech at the White House where his toast was to the haves. Also, I felt he was going to say, and the have-nots. And to my astonishment, he said, to the haves and the have-mores. Clearly, with a special greedy gleam of self-interest in his eye. Yet someone who uses his wealth for the greatest good and shares and cooperates, informs, uplifts, inspires and educates, this person is rich indeed. And from my experience... Now is the time that we all need to take that blind, empty-handed leap of faith from what the Hopi call the path of comfort, profit, and gain, or greed, which is the path of ego, to the path of the soul, which is about love, strength, and balance. And this is what we're living in community here. And when we can summon the courage to fund the will to do and be this, this is where we reconnect to our special purpose in life, our dharma. So come on, you heroes. I sound <laughs> as if I'm at a football match. Slow down. Learn to listen to your intuition, the hero inside. Find the courage to buck the system, 
to make the sacrifices, to take the risk and live how Christ, one of our great teachers, advised by being in the world but not of it and do what the great master philosopher and scholar Joseph Campbell prescribed. Follow your bliss because there you'll find your passion and that's where your abundance is. But unfortunately, we've not been programmed yet to behave in this expansive way. And hopefully people like Jude and I will be changing all this. Unfortunately, fear threatens to constrict the hero on his journey. Mm. And this leads us back to you, David, I believe, for the next level of the way, the refusal of the call. And if I may, Susie, can I just pose a question to you uh, before we do that? Because this is an extremely interesting subject, and and maybe both of you will want to respond to this. Maybe, Susie, you can start. As our world is clearly moving into a a new evolutionary process, and it, it could be that it started many years ago, how do you think that we now encourage people to believe that money needs to benefit from us humankind rather than humankind benefit from money in in that process my sense is it's changing your relationship to money money equals status equals prestige equals power over others that's the old paradigm which is dying transforming and what's resurrecting in its place is what I'm living here. I'm not just teaching this, I'm living it. It's that everyone pulls their resources, not just money, but their love, their time, their expertise. And it's possible then for a bunch of two-leggeds to go much, much further than just one two-legged alone. That's how I would answer your question. And Dr. Jude Caravan, would you like to follow with a response to that? I I would, and and I I wholeheartedly agree with with Susie. I mean, money is just energy. Everything is consciousness expressed as energy, and money ultimately is a flow of energy. Where it flows, where it flows in a positive way, it's just another energy that can support expansion, can support well-being. Um, but when it's used in a, on a, with fear, and often it is used in fear, the accumulation of money. It was interesting, I was doing a workshop in Dublin not long ago, and I was sitting down at breakfast and looking at the front page of the newspaper, and there's a picture of a very, very well-fed banker on the front page. And bless him, this guy had basically gambled with the bank's money and taken them to the edge of bankruptcy, which is interesting for a bank to experience. And they'd sacked him, and he was suing the bank for millions of, of euros. And I looked at this man and just just wondered what journey had brought him to that point. And then later in the day, I was doing some healing work on a collective level with the group of people. And this is Ireland. And we actually went back in time to the time of the potato famine which was a horrendous moment in in Irish history. And when we were in meditation, when we were in attunement, working with the healing of the wound, the emotional wound that arose from that horrible time, 
I saw this banker, no longer overfed, but as a little seven-year-old boy starving in the midst of the potato famine, and found it interesting that after the famine, many of the people who survived actually emigrated to America. And I just wonder how much of their wounding they then brought to the U.S., because Irish immigrants were the second after German immigrants in terms of numbers that were flooding into the sort of 19th century America. And I just wonder how much of that um, need for money and the greed, the insecurity and the wounding that lies at its heart has its origins in, um, in, the, in the understanding we uncovered in, in Dublin. Well, I've got goosebumps, Jude, so I would say it's a considerable influence. It really does feel spot on. Let us continue. Let us continue as uh, Susie Anthony um, had done so before I interrupted with that question to uh, the, the level three in Susie's journey, refusal of the core. The hero refuses the challenge or journey, usually because... He or, is, or or she is scared. Uh, Jude Caravan, one of Susie's favourite quotes is that all it takes for evil to persist is for good men to do nothing. Yet, as we have just talked about, it's much easier, at least superficially, to stay in the comfort zone, earning the salary, accruing the benefits of health care, pension, holidays. How did you yourself deal with with that fear around doing something, doing the right thing, taking up that gauntlet of the quest of the hero to live for a higher purpose. You know, Susie writes in A Map to God that we have been programmed to pursue pleasure, avoid pain and resist change. Do you agree with this? And how did you overcome the fear and resistance to change that Susie believes is programmed into the collective unconscious mind. I do agree with Susie, and I, and I think her insights are, are very profound in this regard. I mean, I think we all, all of us resist change to some degree or other, and it feels that it is ingrained within us at a very deep level because... In my experience, and I guess in, in most people's experience, when we do find the courage to let go and take that leap of faith, it inevitably takes us where we need to be. It inevitably brings us into the flow of, of our high purpose. So, but we do hold on. We hold on to the comfort blanket, actually, of our pain. And what I found in my own life um, was that often I would be in pain in some way or another, um, unhappy in relationships, unhappy in my work, unfulfilled, whatever it was. But it was, it was a comfort blanket of pain. It was a pain I knew. It was like a dull toothache. It was always there and I was used to it, I suppose. And it was only when the pain of holding on became greater than the pain of letting go that I actually let go in many instances earlier on in my life. But over time, I guess I began to realize that that was the choice I was making. And it was a choice that limited me, and it was a choice that I progressively did realize limited me. 
But the urge to change my life and, and actually do something more purposeful um, did become stronger and stronger. Um, but for a couple of years, in the mid-90s, the lure of the security I built remained more powerful. And I think it was very much back to that emotional wounding that I was still not really dealing with at that point. Um, but as more and more synchronicities and signs led me to a point when, you know, although I realized I was stepping off a cliff into the unknown, rather like, the, you know, the fool in the tarot deck, and absolutely no idea where I'd land, I felt deep within myself that I had to take that leap of faith. I knew that this was the path I needed to follow, even though I could barely see more than one step ahead. And it was only actually with one amazing experience that I had that made me realize that one step ahead was all I needed to take. And it was when I was driving home one night, late at night, and I'd been doing a lot of energy work, and I really hadn't been sleeping very well for about three or four days, hardly sleeping at all. And I suddenly got a clairaudient message to go to a particular sacred site, 6,000 years old, called the West Kennet Long Barrow, near where I lived at the time in Avesbury. And I headed the car off, and there were no street lights out of there. It was a very dark night, no moon, cloudy. And I didn't have a flashlight, I didn't have a torch in the car, and I parked the car in the side of the road and realized that I would need to walk uphill to the uh, long barrow in virtual darkness. And yet I just knew I needed to do it. And amazingly, when I started to walk, I found that I could literally see one step ahead. And I walked the whole way, the quarter of a mile to the long barrow, went inside, and it was absolute, complete blackness, um, connected energetically with the guardian there, um, felt myself becoming more peaceful uh, than I'd been for many days, and then left, and again, one step at a time, seeing one step ahead, made my way safely back to the car and, and back to home. But that was such an amazing lesson of trusting and such an amazing lesson of not needing ever to see really more than one step ahead and just doing the right thing in that step and in that moment. It's just incredible, you know, the faith and the trust that Jude was able to embody and then the lessons she got of patience and taking things slowly. And this matches my experience of studying with the shamans in Africa and South America and even the great gurus of India like Sri Aurobindo and even later in life where I actually experienced living, dying and resurrection. But I was to generate the faith and the trust even though I'd been through those near-death experiences, was incredibly challenging. And I came to know that these cycles of living, dying, and resurrection are unavoidable when it comes to relating to the various states of fear with relation to the four brain states of lower to higher consciousness. Reptilian brainstem thinking, for instance, which is limited to what psychologists and medical anthropologist Dr. Alberto Violdo calls the four F's, feeding, fighting, fornication, and fear. And we learn to recognize 
and conquer this low level of functioning, we then rise to limbic brain functioning, which gives us the ability to read and to reason. And as we travel along the path of illumination, we move ultimately to neocortex and frontal lobe neocortex functioning, which is illumination. Mm -hmm. And by far one of the most dynamic ways to really powerfully embrace physical and emotional challenges is to undergo a sacred initiation. And what Jude just talked about felt like an initiation to me. You know, a woman alone to walk half a mile or quarter of a mile in the dark, enter the long barrow, that is an initiation. Mm. It's a call to transcend fear. And initiations guide us to the death of our old ego self, to rebirth and to illumination. And it's about knowing that illumination is not merely an understanding of the nature of good and evil, or more essentially, how neither really exists. Illumination for the shaman or the alchemist is how to ascend to these higher brain state functioning through a series of awakenings and realizations that we pass through in the cycle of life over and over again. As Jude stated, she first lost her father at a very early age and then her stepfather. But she also accessed the possibility to transform and grow and include each small illumination or realization as part of her new integrated self emerging. And that's magic. So... It's about realizing, as Jude did through her strong connection to the bigger picture of walking between the worlds, that illumination and freedom is the ultimate reward on the hero's journey. We become liberated eventually from all emotional suffering through being shown in frontal lobe neocortex awareness the true nature of reality. And along the way, the hero, like myself, like Jude, may become the healer or the seer who can read the signs of the collective destiny in nature, like my friend Al Gore. And above all, we can learn to face death fearlessly because there is no death. It's just Mm. a transformation of energy, as Einstein told us. And the hero knows this and can bring his talents into the world in the form of compassion and humility, but also balanced with the courage to act against injustice. That's the hero's path. You know, you just brought back a lot of memories to me, uh, Jude Caravan, because I spent the first 20 years of my life uh, living in a cottage near Stonehenge, and for that 20 years I would spend every day walking around Stonehenge through the wheat fields with Dad. And uh, by the time I reached my teenager years, I used to go out on my own um, just before sunset and then finish up at Stonehenge in complete darkness. But um, it was the scariest thing at that age. But do you think, Susie, looking at that, that it's, it's very profound, is it not? Because the barrow that, that Dr. Jude Caravan talks about here is a, a very important 
place to to find that sort of experience. It is a nodal point. It is a reference point. What do you think is the significance in that, in the actual place? Well, it holds the memory. It holds planetary memory. It holds ancestral memory. And the guardians that protect those memories, those energies, will relate with you if, if you know how to communicate with them. What's, what's your perception, Jude? Very much so, Susie. I mean, having had my first guidance at the age of four, I mean, certainly when I began living in the Avery landscape, um, everything accelerated in that regard, and the guardians of the various sites, the elemental beings, um, really, I lived on the St. Michael line for, for many years energetically. So for me, it was, it was, it was, it was going to school. It was going to energy school, going to consciousness school at a whole different level. And it was that very shamanic series of initiations that you were, you were talking about. Yeah, but it was funny. I was dri- driving through Cheddar Gorge about four years ago saying, what am I doing in this valley? Why am I here? And I looked up at that exact moment. There was a sign saying, Dragon School. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> and Cheddar Gorge is a dragon point that alchemists from all over the world would come to to complete their final tests and initiations. So this is truly a place of heroes. It really is. And, and I realize now that the time I spent specifically in the Avery landscape, and I still live, as you know, very much, and my husband very much in this beautiful landscape. But what it's done is it's now the heart of my planetary healing work because, as, as you know, Susie and David, I journey around the world um, working on a planetary healing and a collective healing level because the sort of behavior patterns and fear-based patterns and emotional woundings that we have as, as individual people, we also play out at, at larger scales of, 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 of the holographic consciousness that we are. And of course, those imprints, those wounds are imprinted in many parts, places around the world. So I do a lot of work um, in Japan, but I've done a lot of work in every continent. I've done something like 70 countries, worked in 70 or so countries now. Um, just to understand and just to be in service to the healing of all of this at that uh, at that greater level. With that all said, I believe that that takes us on to the fourth level in the hero's journey, meeting with the mentor. The hero meets a mentor to gain advice or training for the adventure. And for Jude Caravan, the similarities in your experiences of this stage of the hero's journey with... Susie's experiences of mentors and guides from higher realms of consciousness are astounding, astonishing to say the least. And like you, Jude, Susie's life has unfolded along the lines of Harry Potter meets Indiana Jones on the road less travelled to form a fellowship of the ring at the OK Corral, as Susie has said before. And Susie's childhood guide was called Tom, also known as Artem. Imagine her surprise when 25 years later one of her teachers guided her to read The Only Planet of Choice, written by Dr. Phyllis Schellemer, edited by someone who would subsequently become a good friend and mentor, Peldon Jenkins. Uh, 
to discover that this incredible collection of cosmic wisdoms were brought through by Tom, also known as Artem, the spokesperson of the Council of Nine. Just before I continue there, Susie, can you just um, give us a definition of the Council of Nine? Well, they're said to be the Ennead. They're said to be the Ennead, the nine principal Mm. deities or aspects of God from Egypt. And also, I wonder if listeners know that Gene Rodenbury, who wrote and produced the Star Trek series, was a student of Dr. Schlemmer's, and based on his programming on these profound cosmic teachings from discarnate beings. So the Star Trek series was actually channeled information from a cosmic discarnate source. Amazing stuff. Uh, this is where uh, Susie feels that the collective, I believe, unconscious, therefore, is being mentored by disincarnate beings via this popular TV series. Uh, but back on track with the question, and this is all relevant. So back to uh, Susie's journey and yours, Jude. Yeah. Um, what I would say, Jude, is throughout my life, through a series of divine interventions and near-death experiences, I was to become further aligned with all kinds of disincarnate mentors, guides, and guardians who stayed with me to this day, including Tom Artem. My question for you, Jude, is what kind of dedicated spiritual practices do you embrace and teach to facilitate the ability to connect with mentors from higher realms, what Joseph Campbell calls the special world? And also, Jude, who are these guides and how have they influenced you? And was there anyone you could share your inconvenient truth with about cosmic consciousness who helped to guide or counsel you in both in early life and then later on? Mm. Well, in terms, Susie and David, of, of spiritual practices, what I found was that in 1998, I was given a major, if you like, download of understanding, 98 and 99, I was given a major download of, of, of guidance, really, and understanding by um, beings who called themselves the, the Elohim. And they explained themselves to me in very similar lines to how Phyllis Schlemmer um, transceded or channeled the information from the, the discarnate beings she called the uh, the Council of Nine. So my sense is that both you and Phyllis and I have been guided by those same beings, and certainly they explain to me that they are the guardians and the guides of our entire solar system's evolution and consciousness. And I spell solar system not S-O-L-A-R, but S-O-U-L-A-R, as a, as a collective soul evolving and exploring ourselves and, and, and consciousness. So for me, the, the, the way of attuning really came out of that guidance that also took me around the world in ultimately 13 journeys um, to link with the planetary energy grid and to be in service to our collective healing. And what that taught me is that we are now, as part of this incredible shift of consciousness, expanding beyond the limitations of our personality-based ego selves. 
And as we do, we're able to access levels of awareness, levels of consciousness, chakras if you like, that are beyond the seven chakras that, that has been known since antiquity. And so for me, um, connecting with what I call the eighth chakra, the universal heart, and then the continually higher level um, chakras that ultimately are a 12-fold chakra system, which equates to unity consciousness, is the journey that I've been on, but also the journey that I've taken many, many others on through healing processes, through workshops, and through books. Um, one of my books is called The Eighth Chakra, um, and that's all about how we are expanding beyond the limits of, of the personality to these transpersonal archetypal levels that um, the Council of Nine talk about, that the Elohim talk about, that Joseph Campbell talk about, and that I've experienced, and I know you've experienced, Susie, when we literally do remember the oneness of, of all that is and can begin to really embody that in our own lives. David, you're asking us, Susie, you're asking as well who are the guides. The Elohim, yes, but the, my earliest mentor who remains with me uh, was Thoth, who was the ancient Egyptian wisdom bringer. And over the years, Thoth and the Elohim have introduced me to many, many other discarnate beings, angelic beings, elemental beings, guardians and landscapes, spirits of place, ascended masters. My mum used, used to say I talk with anybody, and I guess I have. <laughs> I n noticed in the notes that at Oxford University, obviously you're diverted, you, you become part of a system, uh, and you steer away from these. Uh, Susie Anthony, but are there any particular areas of life or, or influences that, that did take the hero away at this stage that are just transitory? Well, yeah, I mean, that potential risk is there all of the time. And that's why it's so important to go back to your childhood and find out where you're vulnerable. Is somebody going to come along with a huge financial hook and because of your impoverished childhood, would you then think, wow, you know, I can have the money and open the box to the special world, mm. for instance. Yeah, so... This is where vigilance and not just being aware, but being conscious. Oh, my goodness, here's another test. Yeah. Let me really just wait. And as Jude so beautifully shared, let me just take one step at a time. Because when we're going slowly at a goddess pace, we're far less likely to make mistakes. My question there would be for Jude Caravan, were you... Uh, very aware at that point that you were being diverted uh, during your time at Oxford University? Uh, did you feel that? Did you know that at the time? I'm, I wouldn't say I felt diverted. Now, I'm not actually sure I was diverted, David, because one of the things that I know Susie and I also share, one of the many, many, many things we share, is our understanding that... Um, in its own way, everything is perfect and ultimately yeah. nothing is wasted. Yeah. And I know now in the work I do, which brings together really leading-edge science, ancient wisdom, consciousness and newly emerging wisdom, 
and grounds it in a very practical and accessible and relevant way that every aspect of my life, even those times when the understanding of unity, awareness, was, was really peripheral to my life, even then nothing was wasted because at Oxford I learned the scientific jargon, the scientific language, and the understanding that now I weave into a much bigger picture, but it's still very relevant to sharing that much bigger picture. And my business life, really, I traveled the world. I had a great time. Um, but I also, again, learned to understand the global picture and communicate with, with people in many, many different lives and backgrounds and ways of thinking and learned how to communicate with them. Um, so in one sense, I was distracted from a more everyday awareness of, of the oneness of, of all. But in, in all the other ways, the journey, every step of the journey, was, I feel, necessary and now can be woven into all that I do and all that I can be in service of. And my sense, Jude, also is that this was your physical grounding and training and, and the gateway to um, earn the funds to establish ongoing training in higher areas yes. later in life. I absolutely agree, Susie. You know, it was, it was all and does feel also perfect. Do you feel that in your own life, that even when you think perhaps, oh, I'm making a mistake. I'm not sure there are mistakes, really, in that No, sense. they're just teachers. They're teachers, aren't they? And, and opportunities to, yeah, exactly. you know, conquer pride <laughs> and needing yeah. to be right. I'd rather be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to turn to you, Susie Anthony. You know, Susie, we constantly come back to all of the human frailties that we can talk about in these evolving programs. We always come back to fear. Can you talk about the discipline of meditation um, as a vital training and daily practice to overcome this, this constant obstacle that we all have? For sure. Well, probably on my gravestone it will have me saying meditation is listening to God, prayer is talking to God, and Reiki is becoming and being God. And these are all forms of meditation. My sense is that as we strive for peace, we, we always seem to forget that it all starts in our own heart. Mm. And inner peace only happens when we're more centered to our interior life, as Jude has just explained. Yet the media, publicity, propaganda, tends to make us look outward and value ourselves through external symbols of power which is not bad or wrong, it's just an incomplete understanding. Mm. And people like Edward Bernays, nephew of Sigmund Freud, and his business partner, Paul Mazur, played on this and developed tools of mass persuasion, which our politicians now use daily. So it is that we disconnected from the hero inside, our intuition, our soul, our spirit, call it what you like our connection to God, to source. And some say they want to change the world, but change has to start. I cannot emphasize how important this is within ourselves. And it really does involve some kind of daily reconnection to spirit, 
some kind of rebalancing of our energy system and self-healing. And meditation is a most powerful key to accessing higher states of awareness. When the mind is still, the body can achieve the deep rest necessary to release stress, to release fatigue, and achieve healing and holding by improving, really, the mind-body-spirit complex connection. Yet how many people have time for this in their busy daily lives? In learning to find the inner silence and stopping the monkey mind and all its internal chaos, we can start listening to higher guidance and creativity. And the hero knows this. And the hero is able to use this to maintain a very positive outlook on life, mistakes, losses, betrayals, and all. And the hero knows how to access deep states of relaxation to produce almost perpetual feelings of peace and calm. And the hero is wise and works very powerfully with these ancient tools for transformation to improve memory, concentration, and clarity of focus. And believe me, the hero needs all of these tools as he's about to cross the first threshold. In closing the program today and beginning again on our second program tomorrow, which will be Susie Anthony's Crossing the First Threshold, I will uh, finish up in the last minute with yourself, Dr. Jude Caravan. In crossing these first four levels, what are the immediate thoughts that come to your mind in closing? Well, David, I, I think the first one was I learned to see myself as the center of the cosmos, and not in an ego way, but to realize that my choices actually co-created my realities. And so to take responsibility for those choices was a very key first step, not to blame other people, not to see that my reality was the result of someone else's choices, that somehow I was a victim of circumstance or, or of others. And without judgment, without any judgment, to just take responsibility for, for those choices. And I guess the second thing that Susie's alluded to, and I think it, it really is crucial, is that when we are quiet, when we go within, when we are at peace, when we can open our hearts, that's when we can hear the highest wisdom. That's when we can really have spirit flowing through us. So for me, it's about choosing love rather than choosing fear. And we do know this. We do know this. We do realize when we are fearful. And momentary fear is an age-old way of protecting ourselves. But so many of us live in chronic fear. And all that does is limit us on so many levels it distracts us, it limits us, it cuts us off from that unity that we've been exploring. And so for me, it's in every moment, in every choice we make, to try and aspire to making those choices from love rather than from fear. And with that, that brings us to the end of today's Heroes program with our special guest, Dr. Jude Caravan. We'll certainly look forward to 
bringing you back again tomorrow on your hero's journey. Uh, Dr. Caravan, it's been such a pleasure today to have you on the program. Thank you, both of you. It's been a Thank real you, joy. Both of you. It's been great. And for our listeners today, I do hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I have. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Dot com.